Welcome to episode 496 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Thursday, September 14th. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, good day, sir. Oh, it's good to be back from New York. I had a smashing good time. Good. Good to hear. Good to hear. Um, there's like two weeks left in the season. Everyone's freaking out on you know every little start that they make that that guys don't come through. I'm, I'm wondering how many people have sworn off of Doug Fister and um, who else was the other? Oh, Patrick Corbin for life because both were pitching extremely well. They made they made a lot of sense to kind of use comfortably in, in a lot of leagues and both completely crapped the bed. Let alone <laughs> somebody like um, Clayton Kirsch or excuse me Max Scherzer giving up seven yesterday that's just i mean the intensity of playoff baseball or even roto where you're where you're trying to get every single point and then having your studs fall let alone the the guys who take a chance on that fall through is very very difficult but we're going to talk about a bunch of guys uh today mostly on non-playoff teams we're going to kind of focus on that the rest of the season uh, more of a scant that uh, more of a slant that way because during the playoffs We'll be using those teams to talk about some of the guys on their teams uh, in, in a fantasy angle. So we will be talking a little bit more about uh, some of the lower team uh, overachievers this year or, or underachievers, as it were. But I want to start with uh, somebody who's not here yet, but he is coming. Shohei Otani is on his way. And my question of the day for you, you know, is where's he going and how good is he going to be? Tell me exactly. I'm going to hold you to this a million percent. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the thing is that in terms of bonus, he can't, he doesn't, there's no like team that can offer him 10 million while everyone else can offer him one. I mean, right. people have been talking about Boston Red Sox had, you know, traded into a $10 million bonus cap, but they've already sold, they've already spent seven or eight or nine million of it. So I think everyone's sort of on an even playing field. And also, I don't think the difference between, even if it was 10 and one million that he was choosing between, I don't think that $9 million difference is actually what's at stake here. I, I think especially after Dave Cameron wrote an article that seemed to outline like a really reasonable way to try and get him basically like a hundred million dollars, which was to he basically can opt into arbitration if he wants to make more money in the short, short term. And if he opts into arbitration, then he gives up uh, a year or two of his, of his free agency. Okay. And if he uh, opts out of arbitration, um, then he can get out of jail earlier. So he can get out of, uh, he can become a free agent earlier. So there's, it's a good article by Cameron, but it's a little bit hard to understand, but it it, like in terms of if you're not that big into contracts and all that, but it basically gives him a way to have a high floor and have some command over his, um, his future. And I think that's about all that people can offer him contractually. And now that Cameron wrote that piece, I feel like everyone says, "Well, if you want this, it's on the it's on the table." You know, now you're now you're talking about a difference between one, two, three, and five million, maybe. And so the thing is, it's really going to be about where he wants to play. Do you, I was going to say, do you think that some of Otani's decision then will be uh, how he can maximize earning power off the field, and will a particular team? change that one way or the other like is is it inherently better for him to be in la or new york or or seattle has a big um aren't they part owned by nintendo or fully owned by nintendo they've had a lot of successful asian players there I suppose so so but it, it, the baseball is so bad at marketing these players i mean like think yeah, about 
who is a nationally marketed guy, uh, you know, you've got a little bit of the Brizzo situation. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Bryant, Anthony Anthony is a little bit of Bryce Harper nationally. Yeah. That's true. Uh, so that's Washington, Chicago. That's not one of the first uh, cities out of your mouth. So uh, I would have thought I, I would have thought um, a city with some Japanese population would be good. Uh, I, I you know I do think from having from from the time that I spent in Japan about 15 times in Tokyo and having worked in a Japanese company there is there was a lot of comfort level with the people I worked with if there were Japanese communities that they could either tie into or eat you know eat the food of um and sort of frequent so I do think that like LA is on the list uh there's even players there that uh that 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 can speak the language literally literally mm-hmm. um and uh, I think New York, you know, New York and L.A. kind of are on this list because of the communities they've got. And then also, like you say, the marketability. And and I think in the end, I, though, I think it may be some combination of city, but also of how competitive he thinks they are. Because I think one of the best ways to be marketable and and to uh, sort of... Uh, get what you want like what he wants out of coming to america is not necessarily money right because he could wait two more years and make a lot more money and make a ton he's uh, let's cover that real quick otani is leaving a substantial amount of money by coming early right but like as much as 100 million dollars because somebody could if he comes over in two years he'd come over as a free agent he can sign whatever deal he wants Mm -hmm. if he comes over now he's signing into the arbitration system yeah he's he's bound to to that uh to, to the posting and and picking a team that way, right? And in my chat, people were asking me, well, what if he went to to Atlanta and Liberty Media, who owns the Braves? What if Liberty Media said, we'll sign you to this deal, and we'll also sign you through our property, SiriusXM, to be the most well-paid sponsor SiriusXM has ever had, and uh, we'll basically simultaneously sign you to these two deals, and maybe maybe we'll have the serious guys next door so that we're not breaking any rules. You have to go next door and talk to them, but they're really happy to talk to you. You know, mm-hmm. um, I talked to Nathaniel Grow and Nate. I don't, I don't forget if he signs it Nate or Nathaniel, but anyway, Nate Grow writes for uh, us about legal issues on Fangraphs, and I asked him about it, and he said, you know, legally it might be okay because the CBA doesn't, you know, say anything about that specifically. But the spirit of the deal would be violated, and he thinks that the commissioner would step in, nullify the deal, and then the Braves would have to basically litigate their way out of this, um, and that he thinks it's uh, not so likely for that to happen. So it can't be anything that's sort of above board or by the same company that's owned by the same team. I don't think they can promise that. But you know that L.A. and New York will say, hey, you know, we have a lot of local sponsors here. Hideki, when I was in New York, Hideki Matsui was there, and he had local commercials all the time. So, mm-hmm. and then, well, now, let's get to the fantasy angle then, because obviously the big question right now is is hitter or pitcher. He wants to do both. Otani does. Um, what do you think the the realistic setup to do both is? And then is he like? Here's the thing. You know, people want him to be on their fantasy teams and count for both. But I don't think you can make him a special one-off in, in, unless you're going to count all of the pitcher hitting. Yeah. Or do you make him two different players? And I have hitter Otani, you have pitcher Otani. What do you what, what do you think there? First off, how do you think he, his playing time will break down? And then how do you figure we should handle it in fantasy? There might only be one platform that's even ready for this. I was saying he was going to break fantasy because 
um, we treat all of our player universes as separate. Like if you think about it, you you can never take a hitter and have him eligible to pitch for you, or, or vice versa. So, um, you know that's going to be very difficult. And then I was thinking about: Did you ever you played? Did you play tout with the swing swing person? Yeah, I'm familiar with it. I haven't been because it's in the single leagues only, right? Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, I think it is a single league thing. I think it's only for the single leagues, and I'm. I wonder I'm if. I wonder. I wonder if that's just a roster spot that kind of floats between, and it still has to be hitter or pitcher. It, or it, it is. I, I yeah. think that. I don't know exactly how it works on the website. Like if you're changing from one to I mean, the this is, other. It's a, it's a website question. I mean, it's a, in certain ways, it's a, it's a user interface website question. I mean, like when Rizzo was playing second all those times, we got a, an email from Scoresheet saying, you know we don't have him coded as a second baseman. These aren't appearances in our system. So we're not counting him as a second baseman. Mm -hmm. And basically we don't think that the spirit of the law says he's a second baseman either. I I think for score sheet that works because uh, it is defense. uh, I wouldn't say defense focus, but defense plays a role. Yeah. Whereas in, in standard fantasy, like I, I'm usually pretty on the I'm I'm on the liberal side of of player eligibility, especially with this year in particular with the way the injuries are with the 10 day DL. Uh, when we get in these deeper leagues, having a little more flexibility, I, I think it's all right. So I know some people were really against the uh, the whole Rizzo thing. I feel like for that Rizzo example specifically, I mean, he was getting a different glove. He was playing that. It could have been yeah. a player two at a time. I, I thought that was pretty legit. Um, I think, I but my point in general is more that uh, that these platforms that we work with do make decisions like this. Correct. Like it's correct. not like we like to p- p- pretend. I think that fantasy we have rules and we follow them, but you know there are decisions that have to be made. So in this case, I think Otani is going to represent a decision that has to be made, and I think I think what's most likely is what you said. Otani is going to be two players, so that if you own Otani twice, you have to own you have to give him two roster spots. Mm-hmm. I think that's just that thing that's just going to happen. I don't think I don't think any right now. I can't think of a single system where they're set up to uh, float a guy. Like just think about all of your systems and how you do hitters and pitchers. There's like a hard line between them, right? You never you can never pull a guy from one to the other. So exactly, and and again, like just because he should excel at it, Otani, you know, doesn't mean that you can get his hitting stats as a pitcher, and then you ignore. Uh, all your other guys who go 0 for 2, 0 for 3 every every time out outside of the handful that we know, like right. Bumgarner can go yak every once in a while, Kershaw, et cetera, et cetera. And, and obviously a, a couple random pitchers hit homers every year, but you have to get the other 0 for 80 that goes with that to get that homer, or it has to be two separate players. I, I, I think two separate players is the way to go with Otani, and I'm really going to be interested to kind of see how it goes. I'm sure the, the outlets are working on it right now and figuring out what they want to well, do. I would not be surprised – if there was, um, if there wasn't a, a uniform setup, and I, I wish there would be, I think that'd make it easier. But I think it could be one of those things where it's like, oh, I play on Yahoo, and he's only this here, but I play on Fantrax, and then he's like this. So I think it'd be best if they look for for a uniform solution. But uh, I think it'll end up being league to league sort of deal. Yeah, I think it also makes it fascinating to think about how we have to then, um, you know, talk about like him as a player, right? <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, uh, right now he's a kind of, he's a guy that has like, a, a over a 200 ISO 
and has, you know, he's not stolen any bases this year, but he's had some hamstring problems in the past. He stole some bases and strikes out a fair amount. So you might consider him, I've said this before, like a Sean Green type guy. Uh, I don't know if people remember him so well, but, um, you know, a guy with a, a, a decently big swing, but good plate discipline and good power and good defense. Um, you know, so that would be an interesting play. Like Sean Green, um, I think he was a right-hander, so I'm not sure. Actually. No, he was a lefty. Yeah. I, I kind of like that. And <laughs> I'm not, I obviously, he's Japanese, and, and he looks like, I mean, you, you can tell. But right. there's a little Sean Green in his face now that you say that. I'm looking at it, too, <laughs> and I'm like, I kind of see it. Like I, 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 I'm not even looking at the swing. I'm just looking at the at the face. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, that would be awesome, right? I mean, Sean that that's a, did hit uh, 42 and 49 year. homers. Yeah, yeah, uh, 43 uh, different years. Pardon me. Yeah, 42, 42, and 49. So three different years. He has a four homer game, uh, four or five 100 RBI seasons. He was a good sure. base stealer. Yeah, he stole like 30. He had a 35, 35 season for the Blue Jays one year. I kind of forgot about that. I thought he was more like a 10 base stealer. So he, I'm not sure that a, Green can steal all those bases. And I think in a certain on a certain level, Green represents maybe a ceiling type thing. I don't know. Like I, I it's hard for me. It's hard for me because we, ha- you know, I haven't seen a ton of a ton. I've seen more as a pitcher. Uh, as Me I think too. And, and, I think, I, and I've only seen clips, so I yeah, don't know. So. By the way, worth noting, he will be 23 coming into next year, Otani will. So this is another kind of a new thing where it's a really young uh, Japanese player coming over. We've had guys come over. You know, I, I think Darvish was probably the previous previous youngest, um, or maybe, maybe Tanaka. I mean, they, they came over a little bit younger, but it started off where they would come over in their 30s after kind of putting together almost a full career overseas. I, I guess Ichiro was like 28. Uh, but Otani coming at 23, I mean, he's got he's got such a bright future ahead of him. Yeah. His pitching has struggled a little bit this year, but it's been 10 and a third, so I'm reluctant to really make anything And he had those, had, I think it was hamstring injuries. So exactly. He was out for a while. Uh, I mean, the rest of his, his numbers and the, what I've seen of his stuff, I think reminds me of you, Darvish, a little bit. I mean, uh, maybe even a little bit harder, but maybe a little bit less movement on the fastball. The fastball's a little bit straight, but that happens when you're, like average 98, 99. I mean, that's, that's where he's sitting. He's, he's uh, hit a hundred, a bunch of times this year. So, uh, in, in last year. So this is a guy who throws really hard, has good movement. He's not a Tanaka, you know, he's more, he's more of a you Darvish. And I, I think I said that if you're going to, if you're drafting him as a pitcher, you draft him as almost like a Steven Strasburg, who's never thrown a pitch. So you have okay. to kind of remember back to when Steven Strasburg was a prospect, which means that he could come over and not and not do that well or or struggle in some way. Like, you know, he's got the seven, he's got the, all the walks this this year. Like, what if that's indicative of something? And he comes over and he throws really hard, but he's more of a Chapman, you know, than um, than a U Darvish even. Um, you know, that'd be interesting. That that like that'd be really interesting to have a closer who can hit. I don't know. I don't know how that would work. I mean, it would be really hard to work that one, actually. <laughs> yeah, that that one would be tough because he, obviously he hits mostly. Pitch. Right, or unless he hits mostly and then in some games, you know, switches over to close. I mean, we, we, we've seen it in college where, where guys can, can do stuff like that. DeGrom. But I think in the majors, you know, the first time he blows a save after 
you know, after, after having playing the whole time, played, yeah. they're going to be like, well, remember when he dove on those two plays in the third yeah, inning and he yeah. was running out, you know, first <laughs> to third, he tired himself out. That's why he couldn't pitch. So I think that would be a really interesting setup, but I'm not sure it would work as well. Now, as far as the, um, if he starts and, and, and plays, do you think it's a situation where maybe he doesn't play before his throw day and the day after? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. The most likely scenario is, um, and actually, I don't know that it nationally. I was thinking national team, national league team mattered mattered a lot, but maybe like what you're talking about, maybe he'd rather not, you know, hit. Maybe the team would rather he not hit the same days he's pitching. So maybe it doesn't have to be national league. Maybe it can be American league, and maybe he can or come ADH. over. Right, and so he he basically um, or like platoon right fielder, right where. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I would say that you're right. He would he would pitch. He would probably not hit on pitch day unless he's in the NL. And then on the I think the big recovery day, I would say probably the day after he pitched, he would not he would not hit. And maybe if there was a throw day, he would not hit after that. So I think most likely scenario is he's a starter and he hits three days a week. He starts three days a week. Like it's going to be really interesting. I'm really excited. So, but that way, means if he, if that, if that is the most likely scenario, and I, I think I'm right, but if that is the most likely scenario, that means you shouldn't draft him hard as a hitter. If you have to choose hitter and pitcher side, that means that he's more likely a single league dynasty pickup as a hitter. Exactly. I would, I would greatly prefer uh, him, uh, Shohei Otani, as a pitcher. By the way, I'm hearing that it's O H T A N I. But even yeah. when I put that into Google, it corrects to O T A N I. So his I don't know. agent says the with the H. Okay. And his jersey says with the H. What it really is is a letter that we don't really have. Like it's a it's a Japanese oh, okay. sound that you kind of want to put the H on. So that they they put the H on his Americanized jerseys, and uh, his his agent said with the H. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Let's get back into the majors here. And uh, we got Felix Hernandez coming back. He's had a really tough season. He is not what the name generally invokes of Felix Hernandez. He, even kind of the the lower end of Felix Hernandez that we'd gotten previous to this year, I think would have been a lot more useful than the guy we've gotten this year. I mean, this is pretty clearly uh, his worst season since that that uh, that second year campaign, that first full year after he had the uh, the 10 to 12 starts as a 19 year old. Then he had that full season, and you know it was. It was the learning curve for sure. And then was it 10 years of excellence? And now this year, 428 ERA. Now we've talked about it a lot on this show. 428 ERA is certainly not as bad as, as we kind of normally think of it. Uh, but the one, the, the 136 whip, I think is the tough part. Then you look at 2.0 homers and 9.7 hits and you feel like that 428 ERA has actually been fortunate. So if it was a 428, with 428 level skills, I think Hernandez would be uh, a lot easier to trust. But the fact is, it's 428 with like 528 type of skills uh, in terms of an ERA for for Felix Hernandez. So, are you trusting trusting him the rest of the way for three or four starts? I would use him as a streamer at home. He gets Texas today, by the way. Yeah, at home. Uh, let me check that. I think I they are at home because they just they just had them. Let me make sure on that. Hang on, please load, please load, please load. Um, Where are Seattle and Texas playing? It's an interesting thing that you can see when you look at the zone they're percentages. At Texas, by the way, they're at Texas. Yeah, I think that would be a really hard one for me to use. I just uh, 
He didn't have a great start at Texas before he left. And it's a shoulder injury. We don't know, you know, how how 100% he is. A lot of times shoulder injuries just need surgery or, you know, or a lot of rest. And, you mm-hmm. know, just taking like a month off doesn't, six weeks off is kind of like, okay, so now you're good. And, uh, you know, another thing that I noticed is we talked about uh, Josh Kalk, who works for the Tampa Bay Rays and his injury zone finder. And, you know, what the, we used to use that all the time at, at baseball heat maps. And one of the things that that jumps out at you is the zone percentage for Felix. So he started the year at 48 uh, to 50 plus percent zone percentage. And then um he started to go south in July with 32%, 38%, and right before he got hurt, 35%, 39%. So he has, uh, he's afraid of throwing in the zone. He's throwing the changeup more than either of his fastballs combined, really, uh, recently. And um, that just seems to me like he's throwing every he's the spaghetti slinger now he's just mm-hmm. throwing all against the wall and seeing what sticks and um i think he'll have some good games i mean you look at his you look at his game log you know he had some good games before he got hurt he had at chicago one run and five he amazingly held the yankees at home in july when they were okay for to one run uh, with nine strikeouts, so the, and that changeup is a good pitch, but I just don't think that if you know that changeup is coming again and again, I think that's part of also why the zone percentage is down. It's kind know, of amazing that feels. You know that change is, coming. You just you just try to take it right, and you just yeah, try but it's, to, a, it's amazing that it's actually still a pretty good pitch for Felix, considering, like you said, that they know it's coming, and and, and yet it still has success. There's like a what six mile an hour velocity difference. Yeah. And it's still uh, – it's four miles this year, and it's still been a good pitch for him. But, yeah, I mean, I thought he had enough secondary stuff with the with, with the change of slider and curve to to kind of fight off the uh, the, the age and, and velocity-related declines of a 30-year-old with, with a ton of miles on his arm. But I just – I don't think we're really seeing it with Felix. I, I'm with you. I have a hard, hard time trusting him for sure. Yeah, the four-seam is coming back. Like, he's starting to use the four-seam more than the sinker. And it's because the four seam gets double the whiffs and the sinker doesn't even get good ground balls anymore. So I could see him kind of going away from the sinker. The problem is that even his four seam is just giving up a ton of homers. So um, I don't know. I think he'll do, he'll have decent games where he strikes out seven, walks one or two, and gives up a home run. That's about and the best I can uh, hope for him right now. I think. The, 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 the tough part on that with Felix is that. He doesn't strike me as somebody that's going to have rhyme or reason to those. He's going to be one of those guys that, well, I can't start him here because it's again at Texas and he's going to yeah, go, know, go six innings, one run. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, he finally gets Oakland in Oakland. I feel good. And he gives up three home runs to Matt Chapman and Matt Olson and he gives up <laughs> six runs. And that's what we call a segue. Was, uh, Matt yeah. Olson and Matt Chapman, the two Matts over. In fact, they got a they got a trio of Matts just just dominating. Throw Matt Joyce in there; he's been excellent of late. But the two young guys I want to focus on, Matt Joyce, kind of is what he is, platoon player, thirty two year old. But Matt Chapman, uh, twenty four year old third baseman. Matt Olson, twenty three year old first baseman. 
both prospects of, of some note, particularly within Oakland's organization. I think even both made top 100s at various outlets this year. And they've both been really, really good. Olsen has 18 homers and 176 plate appearances, uh, 12 for Chapman and 262. So not quite as good as, as Olsen, but Olsen's been awesome. Now, I'm, just, I'm more curious on how you feel about them uh, next year. I feel like using them the rest of the way seems obvious. They both have been good. They're giving power, uh, even at the deep power positions that we have with, with corner first and third. I think I feel like you can finagle these guys in, even if it was just utility. But next year, uh, what, what are we seeing out of a full season from these two guys, Matt Olson and Matt Chapman? Go ahead and start with Olson. I'm going to start with Olsen because I think there's less consensus. I think you're right to, to start there. Chapman, I think, is who he is, and we don't have to worry too hard about him. Olsen, if, because Chapman, if you look at his minor league numbers coming up, he just he is he's grown out of his minor league numbers, right? Like, he's, he makes sense. But and Chapman, Ol- a great defensive third baseman, too, so he's going to be locked and loaded at even third if, base, playing time guaranteed. Olsen's a first Even if he's base. hitting 210. Yeah, if, he's hitting, yeah. if they're both hitting 210, Chapman's only with the job. So uh, and, and, and hitting 210 is a risk with both these guys. They strike out a lot. And then you look at Olsen's minor league numbers and you look at 2016 and 2015. And you say, whoa, hold on. This guy didn't even have a 200 ISO in the minor leagues. This guy didn't even have a 200 ISO in the Pacific Coast League. And you care about him. And I hear that. However, since then, he has changed his stance. He now looks like and this will also make you say, hmm, but. He now looks like Michael Morse uh, with the stance from the left side. It's just allowed him to get to the ball quicker and punish the ball more. um, And it's allowed him to get the ball in the air more. So, um, you know, it's been a big deal for him. uh, And I'm going to say that I just I believe it. I believe the power. I believe he's improved against lefties. And if you look at his... uh, triple a fly ball rate the year that he did not have much power and he had that other stance that other uh, setup he had a 41 percent fly ball rate this year he had a 50 percent fly ball rate that fly ball rate is really important because if you're compa- comparing him to bellinger olsen has a 45 percent fly ball rate and bellinger has a 47 percent fly ball rate so i'm not necessarily going to say that the isolated slugging percentage that olsen has right now is real when I compared Olsen to Bellinger, I mostly used that fly ball rate and the walk and contact rates. And in those ways, I think they are very similar. I mean, 45, okay. 47, not that far apart. Yes, uh, Olsen has a 38% home run for fly ball rate, which is uh, unsustainable. That'll hold. No, it'll go up or hold for sure. <laughs> 38% is so bananas. That's, That's why, why so I would focus on 18 homers in 176 games. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to pace that out. So is, is he, uh, is Olsen. Okay. So you invoked the name of Cody Bellinger. I, I wrote about these guys uh, as some second half standouts that people might've missed kind of uh, under the radar a little bit. And I said that, you know, they're not going to be super high sought, uh, highly sought after next year because uh, they're on Oakland. You know, no one's really dying to to get Oakland players. Even Chris Davis coming off of a 40 homer season, you know, he, he went he went fairly, but it wasn't like people were frothing at the mouth to get him. I'm not sure that uh, either of these prospects are necessarily going to generate tons of excitement either. But then, you know, someone in my comments was like, well, you know, Olsen's kind of like uh, Cody Bellinger. And I was like, LOL, I, I disagree. And I was like, well, Eno said it. And I said, 
I don't listen to anything that guy says. That guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. I don't know if you thought that was your ace in the hole, like because Eno said it, that I was going to automatic. No, I'm kidding. But I was like, okay, I that's fine. I still disagree because I just wasn't seeing Cody Bellinger there. Are you saying that he can reach those heights over full season, be 35 homer type of guy, Matt Olson? I, I think so, yes. I mean, this year he literally has 41 homers uh, combined this year. The the Already, Olsen does. So, yeah, 20, 23 at AAA for Olsen because uh, this was the good year. He did have a good year at the PCL with the new stance. He, he beasted and the, out and there. And the new so fly ball absolutely. rate, more, more importantly. The, I think there is a there is a difference probably on singles and doubles. You know, Oakland does steal from you there. Mm-hmm. And if you have a 45% fly ball rate – and you play in Oakland, you're begging for a tiny uh, batting average on balls in play. Now, some of those, Bellinger, yeah, uh, yeah, some of those caught um, fly balls that would go into the stands at so many other stadiums are going to hang up there, and the right fielder, left fielder, are going to get over there and, and, and get some free outs on you. And then, yeah, right. So, and then uh, Olson, I think Olson is athletic and and, and energetic, but. If he could play center field, you know Billy Bean would put him in center field. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> he put Mark Canna in center yeah, field. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he would already so, be out there. Now, he has played some right field, so you know he's not necessarily locked in at first base. But only. he's just not. I'm just saying he's not as athletic as Bellinger. Correct. Okay, so you want to make sure that the comp doesn't go that far to where yeah, people because. Are. That, that's going to show up in a couple different ways. That means that Olsen's defensive numbers are probably not going to likely be as plus as Bellinger. Do you see that play that made he, the, the, the play he made the other day where he I, jumped I in the air and came back down and he literally was like up a foot and a half in the air and then came back down and still got the guy. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't see Olsen making that sort of play. I see, I can see Olsen going first to third on pitches and giving a little base running ability, maybe stealing some bases when nobody's paying attention, but I, I doubt he's going to push his batting average on balls in play to 300 based on his legs, um, even if he has the power. So where our projections have Bellinger basically having like basically a 300 batting average on balls in play, and so therefore giving him like a 250 uh, batting average, and I could see him even having like sort of 260 plus, I think Olsen's a little bit more like a 230, 240 guy. But if you're in an on-base league... I think the difference is not going to be that big of a difference in terms of on-base percentage. There's, You could look at Olsen's past and say that Olsen may have a better walk rate than Bellinger next year. I think so, both guys get a boost, by the way. Chap- Chapman as well. If you play OBP, both of the Oakland mats uh, go up substantially on, on, your, on your list there because uh, Chapman has a 10% walk rate. Actually, they both do. They both have t- 10% walk rates this year to kind of – uh, boost things so that that would be a, a boon if you're playing OBP you want to move Olsen and Chapman up yeah uh, and then Chapman is also energetic has a great body he just doesn't have hasn't stolen as many bases as, as Ballinger has in the past and uh, he hasn't come out of the gate as crazy as as uh, Olsen has and he also has a little bit more of an extreme fly ball rate, so that could manifest itself as like, a, like I said, like a 210 batting average. He's literally projected for a 216 batting average by Steamer. I'm not sure that's gonna be in his future, but uh, it could, it could definitely okay. be in his future. And if he's hitting 210, even if he hits, you know, 28, 30 homers, it's a little bit like a low rent Gallo, I guess. 
this uh, th- th- this outlook, particularly on Olsen, has me thinking that we'll be talking talking him up in in the winter here uh, after you get some offseason to even analyze him further. We might overhype him like one Jarrell Cotton, <laughs> which uh, did not work out for us. We were, uh, you know, all kind of on board after the the stunning September wow. last year. My personal and, lesson for for Cotton is just that I, you know, I I went to twelve I think in in labor and, you know, as as much as you like a guy and my projections look great for him, my personal outlook look great for him. He's in a great pitcher's park. He had a great September. He has the pitches he needs. You know, you don't need to go to twelve dollars on these guys. You just like as much as you have your babies, have a price on your babies. So if you like Matt Olson, like him, but pay six dollars for him in an AL only. Have a price don't, on your babies. Sell yeah. babies is what you're know, saying. Sell, <laughs> sell <your> babies. babies. <laughs> if you take one message from this podcast, it's that you should sell babies, particularly in a nefarious way. Sell Black babies. market. Black market baby selling. Now, um, one of the things I definitely overrated based on those 29 and the third innings last year was his ability to command. And I tell myself a million times that it was a small sample, but it was. The minor league numbers in terms of walks, like you're like, okay. Exactly. And. And the magnitude of sample, you know, Chris List talks about it a lot. It's, I think it's a Bill James uh, principle. Like, if they're so good, even in the small sample, then, like, okay, you can start to believe in it more. And he, he just spotted the ball so well. That changeup was so devastating. And he didn't walk anybody. And I was just like, this guy's ready. And I didn't even, you know, obviously I didn't think he was going to be a 215 ERA, .82 whip all year. Okay. I thought he'd be, like, a 330 ERA for 180 innings in, in Oakland, and uh, he's got a 581-148. So I guess my real question now is is, is what's next for Drell Cotton? He'll be 26 years old next year, coming off this ugly year. Do you go back now, and, and now instead of paying $12, you get him out of the black market baby deal for $1? Are, are you well, in on Drell Cotton as a dollar, and, and is it AL only, or, or would I you think, do a mixed league? I think I will, and AL only is I'll be in for a dollar. Uh, the The – there's two things that I can identify that went wrong for him. One is unrelated to what we've been talking about is just that he has a short stride. And so his effective velocity is actually around 90, 91. So we thought he had above average velocity. He actually has sort of below average velocity. His fastball plays down then because he averages 92, 93 by the gun. Uh But cotton cuts that out from himself. We talk a lot of times about guys with the positive extension. I think maybe we'd be, uh, well served to maybe talk about some of these other guys if you could pull a list maybe for a future episode of the guys who are hurting themselves with these sorts of things cotton's one of them and that seemed to play play a role there uh what, what was the other thing you noticed well actually it's not it's not too hard you can just go to um to baseball savant and just do effective velocity minus actual velocity oh, on, okay. the, on the search p Field. I haven't done that one. Um, and it, it, see, I, I, the, the thing about that is I think it's kind of innate. I don't think you can ask a guy to turn into Trevor Bauer or Tim Lincecum, right? Like you can't be like, Cotton, can you just like jump off the mound? <laughs> exactly. No, I, I completely agree there. You might be able to tweak it a little bit to unlock a little extra, but I don't think there, anyone's going to really turn Cotton into – Again, like you're saying, a, pl- a plus guy at it from the fact that he, right now he's a, a substantial minus and they're all of a sudden going to get him to have an effective velocity of like 96. I just don't see that happening. Right. But one thing you could do is maybe like use weighted balls and just add your regular velocity so that even if you're minus, you're minusing off a bigger one. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's possible. I mean, he's young enough to maybe do it. The other thing is, so here here are the worst ones with uh, with some sample. Uh, number one is Brad Hand. Uh, he loses 2.7 miles per hour between his radar gun and his actual. Uh, here and here's number two. This is really interesting. Ty Block loses 2.5 off of. He an doesn't R-rated. throw hard at all. I know he already has a terrible fastball. This is a, a, so, maybe it's working for him then because geez. they're like sitting back on 88, 89. Is that the changeup or the fastball? Right, it floats up there at like 86 effective velocity. Like, damn it, I was out in front of it again. I mean, Ty Block to me actually reminds me of, I guess, like a low rent Glavin, like or like Moyer, kind of like slow, slower, slowest is kind of his deal. So mm-hmm. maybe it's not that big a deal, but I don't think he's a he's a he's a someone Cotton should study. Um, you also you also see these are all both lefties, and the next one uh, then Cotton is next, two point two miles that he loses. Drew Pomerantz is next, so here's another lefty, and they get the they get that secret bonus right of of being lefties. So it's not as big a deal. Exactly. Right? Lefties generally have a mile per hour less than righties, so even if Pomerantz is down 2.2. He gets a little extra lefty boost. But at the same time, I do think he can learn from Drew Pomerantz. Drew Pomerantz basically throws his fastball less than 50% of the time. So I think Cotton should step off the fastball usage. Not as good of a pitch for him. Uh, that means he's going to have to command something uh, in the zone that's not his changeup. And I wonder... The cutter if he that can... he's been working? I mean... Yeah. yeah, he throws that cutter. He's pretty good with the cutter. And so it can flash really good. It's one of those pitches, and I, you know, watched a handful of con starts this year, especially at the beginning, and then I've seen him a couple of different times over the summer. It's a Jekyll Hyde pitch, though, for him. I think sometimes when it's working is when you start to see him have a good outing, but when that cutter's off, and he, and neither the cutter nor the fastball are doing anything for Cotton, that's when he gets in big trouble. But I think that could be the key pitch then, the, the cutter. Yeah, the cutter could be. And then he listen to a couple other names, and something will code to my second point, which is. Uh, next on the list that people know are Cologne, Leak, Kane, Estrada, Richard, Cobb. So uh, a lot of these guys, what they have in common is command. I mean, I know you don't think of that as current Kane, but you know when Kane was Kane, he had command. So uh, we we talk about command. One of the things that uh, that's really interesting is that Cotton gets some of the lowest exit velocity in the league, but he throws to places in the zone that have the most exit velocity in the league. So he's a command. I think he, what he is is a, a control, not command guy. He has Big good difference. pitches with good movement, and he throws them to the middle of the zone. When he does hit his spot, he's fine. When he throws the changeup, he gets low exit velocity because nobody can really hit that thing. When he throws the cutter, he gets low exit velocity. So my, my, my solution for him is twofold. Throw the fastball less, throw the cutter more, and miss more like like think about where you're missing don't miss towards the center of the zone Mm -hmm. because he's got a home run problem i think that's a huge factor for young pitchers about where they miss when they give in that's something max Scherzer said when i asked him about command he said you know command shaman you know he said (laughs) just think about like he said he basically said you can never measure command because you don't know what i'm trying to do and you don't know where i'm trying to miss because that's a great call He's like, maybe I am aiming for high and high and tight, but if I miss high and away, that's fine. If I miss low and tight, it's not. So, you know, there's there's something about sort of paths where people want 
they want it in a certain place, but if they miss, they want it to miss in the sort of comet trail, you know, going this way or going that way and just not miss towards the center, which I think cotton kind of misses towards the center. So. Right. And, and you know, you talk about command shaman. I'm going to pretend, by the way, he, that he said command shaman. <laughs> um, you think about how many times you see a great pitch. You're like, that was a brilliant pitch. And he got the he got the out. And it was not at all where the catcher was set up. It was not at all what it was supposed to do, but it ended up being great because it, it might have fooled the catcher because he was expecting it somewhere. He had to reach out, but the, the batter wasn't on it either. And you know, that's, that's obviously where we talk about things like just your raw stuff can kind of carry you. It opens up your margin for error. And I do think somebody like Cotton, who, again, is, is cutting out some effectiveness from his own uh, fastball, he doesn't have a big margin for error, and we've seen that exposed multiple times this year. The 2.0 homers per nine uh, is p- particularly troubling. That 1.2 from last year was worrisome and certainly something to be mentioned, uh, and it was. But being in Oakland and and with his what I thought was both command and control and not just control, I thought he could overcome it, and, and of course he didn't. But, uh, yeah, I, I think he's still a guy on, on a dollar that I, I would take a chance on, Jerome Cotton, and, you know, Again, prospect growth isn't linear. Let's see what he takes away from this season. But there are things that need to be done, and I kind of like your uh, your, di- your your prognosis for him or your what, diagnosis, whatever. The the remedies that you've laid out for him are uh, interesting, and we'll see if Cotton does that. Uh, let's stay out west and talk about a guy that uh, infuriates me because I never really believe in him, and now he's trying to make me look stupid. And I don't appreciate it, Mike Zanino, but uh, he's he's on one again, and he has these he has these runs, uh, and this one, you know. I think the season might run out before he can have another flop. He's hitting 246. You know, 246 for Mike Zanino. They should actually give him an honorary batting title, I think. <laughs> I don't know if there's something that they could do. Rob Manfred, you know, he's a little bit more on the progressive side of uh, of doing different things. Maybe they can just say, listen, uh, the batting title that this year goes to Mike Zanino because he had 246. Literally nobody in the universe thought that he could ever do that. <laughs> like, you know, just a sorry. ruling. Commissioner, yeah, sorry to uh, <laughs> Jose Altuve or whoever the hell is leading in batting average. You don't get it this year. It's Mike Zanino. But jokes aside, 246 and 23 homers, like that is that's a that's a top catcher, and I think he's already in the top 10 in terms of uh, you know rankings on whichever outlet you're looking at or player rater or whatever. But I'm curious if you think he could be a top five next year, or uh, will he at least be a top five draft? I, I think more importantly is like where he's going to be drafted because he's still just 27. He has prospect hype. He has he has vehement backers. What do you think about Mike Zanino next year as a potential top five catcher? You know, it's hard to put a finger on what adjustment he really made this year. You know, his outside swing rate is unchanged. I mean, he's had some peaks and valleys. I guess he he hasn't swung outside the zone as much as he did at times uh, before. So he's kind of, you know, squished the peaks and valleys a little bit on that one. Um, And some of his best moments in terms of reaching this year have been this year. So I guess there's been some natural growth in his play discipline. Uh, You know, he's hit fly balls as much as he has this year. Uh, But some of his, his good work this year has gone with a increased fly ball rate. I mean, it's that's it. I don't I don't really you know, I even looked at his exit velocity and, you know, it hasn't really gone up this year. So I I think it's like just a little bit of natural growth. 
and a little bit of luck. I mean, it's uh, 350 batting average of balls in play. It's not like he has a plus-plus uh, exit velocity. It's not that he has a great batted ball mix that's, you know, even ground ball to fly ball or, or you know, I know we don't look at line drives a lot, but, uh, you know, it's not like he has a great line drive rate. There's nothing to really uh, sink your teeth into. So um, I think the 246 is a bit of a mirage. But if you can handle, like, 220, I think the power has always been there, and he's always had a decent fly ball rate. So I think he's probably true talent. I'd call him a 225 hitter with, um, you know, he's a catcher, so he doesn't play full time. But like 25 homers, I think he can do that again. I mean, that's, it's, I still uh, won't be drafting him. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah. I, 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 I still think 210 is, is, and listen, I know we're in an era where 210 is not the end of the world, especially at catcher, by the way, because they don't, they're not going to be logging 500 plate appearances or anything like that. He's got 392 this year, Zanino does. Um, and, and there yeah. is a point where just hitting 25 homers as a catcher is going to be positive. But I think he's going to end up overdrafted based on this final flurry. And I feel like this might end up being the career year. And if you know if you're taking him as a top five catcher, it kind of depends where that goes. I understand, but I think that will call on him to at least repeat, if not do more. So I'll, I'll give him a hat tip for for performing way better than I thought he was going to this year. But I don't think I'm gonna uh, pay the freight on Mike Zanino because I do think he's somebody that a lot of people want to see succeed. And so now that he has had some success, that's gonna boost the price up. Yeah, uh, let's I mean, shift I back over like to pitching. Oh, go ten go ten dollar. $10, like $10 catchers and two catchers AL only leagues are kind of somewhere in between a starter and a, and a bench. Yeah. The second one, you know, mm-hmm. so I'd say probably, you know, somewhere between like 10th and 15th best American league catcher. Okay. Uh, let's talk about Mike Clevenger. He allowed his first earned run, uh, actually three runs total. Only one of them was earned, but uh, he had had like an 18 inning streak, 23 and a third, 23 and two thirds, only one earned run. Uh, down the stretch here during this big run that they're having in in Cleveland. He's had flashes at different times this year, sustained periods of of really strong success for Clevenger. He's got some some goofy mechanics, but some really good stuff. Um, 321 ERA and 127 whip is what we're seeing right now. I don't think that those two kind of mesh. I think it's because of the walks that kind of keep his, his whip up a bit. 6.9 hits is nice. Really nice. <laughs> 10.2 strikeouts. There's a lot of little factors here that I like about a 26-year-old Mike Clevenger. How good is this guy? You know, Zimmerman does these great, uh, what does he call them, like first looks? Or he does a great series oh, yeah, on. quick looks. I love quick looks, yeah. looks. He did not, he was not super into Mike Clevenger, I remember. But I remember also when that came out that I was at a game that Clevenger started in San Francisco. And I realized something about the changeup. It only has a five mile an hour gap between the four seam and the changeup. So that's not a positive. In terms of movement though, it's okay. And in terms of deception, I think it's big. You alluded to it. Those funky mechanics, he makes you uncomfortable. He mm-hmm. he is he's I think somebody on LV Network called it ADHD or something. It, it's like, um, you know how John Gant does that? Uh, John Gant, we've, we've talked. I wish you could almost like 
It's radio, right? I wish you could show people things. Like right when we were talking about them, that we would get some B-roll of of John Gantz mechanics. Yeah, exactly. But, it's uh, funny. This is I haven't related anything to MLB the Show in a while, but uh, he's a popular pitcher to use because of his funky mechanics. There's a game mode where it kind of incentivizes you to use lower level uh, starting pitchers. Uh huh. And he gets used a lot. John Gant does because he has some funky mechanics that, that can timing, throw people right? off. Yep. I mean, when you play MLB the Show, I mean. That the one thing that's the most baseball-like about it is that it's about timing, right? That you're, exactly. you're trying to hit that button at the right time. And what Clevenger does is not as extreme as Gant, but he does this thing where, like, he kind of he looks like he's going to get his delivery going, and he doesn't, and then he gets it, and then and then also on top of that, he throws everything with 100% max effort. I oh, mean, it just looks like 130%. Like hair he is, is just, going hard. The hair is flying and that that leg just like wheels around and just looks like he just it looks like he threw himself at you. And um, I, I think that's good for his velocity. But I also think that it's really good for his changeup. And if you look at his changeup, uh, I think that you might be a little surprised to see that it has a 20 percent whiff rate or like an 18, 19 percent whiff rate and a really high swing rate. And it has a higher swing rate than his force seam. And that's backwards. Because not only are the results better on the four seam, but everybody's hunting four seam. Mm-hmm. So on some level, he's convinced people that the changeup is the four seam. I don't. I don't think they're hunting the changeup. I don't think 52% would like to swing at his changeup. So um, it's an interesting thing that we don't get into a lot here. And I'd like to actually study a little bit in the off season, which is, um, you know, coaxing people, coaxing swings out of people. What kind of pitches coax swings out of people? And then also um, what kind of pitches cause people to sort of reach outside the zone. You, you know what's a little interesting about Clevenger, too, is um, the good, the, he has a pretty solid uh, above-average first-pitch strike rate and still has all the walks. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of it is, is his stuff is nasty, and so it is kind of maybe tough for him even to put it in the zone when he wants. So when guys are going patient on him – uh, it can be tough for him to get back in the zone, but that's also an asset. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, I love what Clevenger does, but I wish he'd fix his 12% walk rate. I think, quote unquote, fixing that 12% walk rate would also lower the the, the 27% strikeout rate. So mm-hmm. what trade-off do you want? The only problem there is then it leaves him a little bit babbit susceptible or dependent, right? Because if he starts giving up hits at an 8.5 clip again, like Sequencing he did last year, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that whip's going to go way up. So I, I, I would caution against overrating him, but I certainly like this guy in the, in the middle back end of your uh, fantasy rotation, depending on your size of league for sure. Do you think he's a, a playoff starter for them? For Cleveland? Well, I mean, I think Danny Salazar is out. Yeah, because I mean, they're not even really using him as a as a as a as a reliever right now. He's, I mean, he he's messed up. Um, I, I dropped him off on all my teams. I, Bloomer, I, Carrasco, Bauer, if he doesn't play with the drone, and then Clevenger, if they want to go with a fourth, and you can put Tomlin yeah, back in the bullpen. I, I think it's. I think I think Salazar makes the postseason roster. And I think oh, I think he should make the roster for sure because he he could be valuable as a two two three inning reliever too. Right. It's just that they're not even using him that right now. But I think like um you know I think your fourth game would be Clevenger Salazar Tomlin like it would just be everybody, and um it'd be kind of a bullpen game almost. 
But uh, you never know. Maybe Clevenger gives you ends up giving you four innings, and and they if he does if he has a bunch of four inning playoff starts, they're gonna steamroll. I feel like because Carrasco Kluber is is nutty, and Bauer's not amazing, but he'll win a couple of his games. I mean, they may be you know eight to six, but he's gonna win some games in the postseason. So uh, you look at that you look at that roster. Not to get too far into real baseball, but. Um, I see a really good roster there, man. I mean, if if any of those, if 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 Chiz is is okay, and um, is Brantley out for the season? Uh, no, I don't believe so. He's not. Well, see, if Brantley can come back, then up, oh, he's still not able to run on flat ground. Uh, two weeks ago, that's weird. Well, that, I mean, that's why they're looking at Kipnis out there, right? Um, but yeah, so uh, you know, Diaz, Yandy Diaz. This is I think Yandy Diaz, even though we're not supposed to be talking about the Indians right now. I think Yandy Diaz is, is worth a, a talk real quick because um, he uh, he has come back and he's raked. And we and I I might have mentioned here before he can actually he hits the ball really hard. He has good exit velocity. And the the problem with him he has been very good since he's come back. The problem with him has always been can he hit fly balls? Uh, and he has come back and hit some fly balls, sort of, except. If you look at his minor league numbers, uh, he did not go down to the minor leagues and learn to hit the ball in the air. So I uh, remain distrustful of him. And okay. uh, but Urshela, Urshela, not Urshela. I always want to call him Urshela. Urshela, I think, is uh, is decent. I think that Ramirez will end up at third base in a playoff game, though. I mean, especially if Brantley gets if Brantley gets good. There was something. I don't know if it was. Um... I don't know if it was on MLB now or not, but uh, they asked, you know, who's played in all the games of, yeah. of the streak? And it was Urshela. Yeah, it was. And I was like, oh, I think that's... that's because he's the best defensive third baseman. So and, and yeah, they when need you're, the when defensive you're, third baseman. When you're, and also when you're winning, you know, you put in defensive replacements. Oh, that's a good call, too. Yeah, so if they get up late, even if he didn't start, yeah. he gets in the game, Urshela does. Because it's certainly not for his bat. He has a 46 OPS+. Plus. And yeah. I, I I think that's not good. I'd have to do a further analysis, <laughs> but I, I think that's That's bad. why all the analysts, when that came out, they guessed Geyer. And I think that's the same reason, is that you you take Jay Bruce out and you put you put Brandon Exactly, exactly. So uh, it was MLB now. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah that, that team that team's absurd right now. It's going to be – the playoffs gonna, are going to be great. I'm really excited for them. And, again, we will be doing episodes during the playoffs talking a little about, about what's going on on the field, but then also talking about – those playoff teams and some of their players in the fantasy realm on what they just did for the season and what they'll do in 18. Uh, you know, we're going to finish with some uh, 2018 bounce backs. Now, let's see. Of these guys on this list, only one is is likely to be in the playoffs. Um, the rest are, are pretty much looking. We've there. already okay. violated our own rule. It's a couple okay. of things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going to be talking mostly non non playoff guys. There's a couple in here. Not 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 just one. There's one pitcher and then two two of the hitters that could be in the playoffs. But anyway, um, who's the better bounce back bet that you're going to be in on between Kevin Gosman and Masahiro Tanaka? Tanaka has bounced back in season by stopping to throw his fastball. He's throwing it like 20% of the time mm-hmm. and throwing a ton of sliders. Um, what has Gossman done? I mean, I'm, I'm seeing uh, that he took some velocity off his splitter and that he uh, is throwing the splitter a lot more. 
I'm going to go with Gossman because Gossman's coming with better velocity and has not already dropped to 20% fastball usage. To me, as much as I've advocated that some pitchers should do that and that I think it's a very interesting thing to do, it smacks a little bit of old pitcher um, grasping at straws. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that Gossman, you know, taking his fastball usage from 65% down to 60 and his splitter usage up from 15 to 25%. That it is a similar idea, but it's not the same extreme, right? <laughs> He's still throwing yeah. a, a fastball for 60% of the time. So I would think that Gossman has found something in terms of sequencing and location. He's closer to being a normal pitcher. He still has the high velocity. Uh, so I'm going to go with him. Okay. Um, by the way, did you hear about. Where are you going? Pardon me? Who's going with? I think I'm going to stick with Gosman for a lot of the same reasons that you said. And, you know, I've been in on both these guys. You know, Masahiro Tanaka, for those that forget, let's go ahead and remind them that he was my Cy Young pick this year. I think that's still going to come through, but you guys can laugh at it if you want. There's still two weeks in the season. So count your chickens before they're hatched, idiots. I'm still going to win that, obviously. No. Um, yeah, Gosman, the younger guy, I do like. I think his arsenal when it's on is better. You talk about how he's gotten better at different points in the season it's been related to the splitter i agree he should not use the fastball less he needs the fastball to be great i think gossman does whereas like you said tanaka probably moving away from it focusing on the secondary stuff is his best bet at success uh after yesterday's outing uh, at, at toronto did you hear about uh, gossman 18 and a third innings 0.98 era and 109 whip in rogers center this year and wow. i know that they're not the same offense that they've been by any stretch toronto isn't but that's really good. And if you add in three more starts against the Blue Jays at home, he's got a 151 ERA in 35 and two thirds against them this year. The Jays, uh, he, he's been the Jays' worst nightmare. Kevin Gossman has. So I just noticed something too about Gossman that I like. Um, he just spent uh, July and August, which were good months for him, right? Mm -hmm. I think they were good months for him. Uh, he spent that those two months pitching more inside to lefties than he ever had with his fastball. Yeah, those were his best months by far, just by ERA, 750, 430, 641, 363 July, 348 August, 338 so far in October. I think he needs to do that. I think he's probably being predictable with his four-seam fastball, which is a little bit straight. If he can be more unpredictable with that, go inside to lefties some, uh, that'll set up the outside for a splitter. So I, I think... Um, it's really is it's it's fairly stark. I mean, it's definitely the best two months he's ever done in terms of pitching inside the lefties. So uh, I wonder if it's also true for righties. Let me just look real quick. Um, no, righties is uh, he's using a slider inside. That's uh, no, that's a way. Um, yeah, he's actually been pitching righties inside generally more this year than before. Well, and. Um... He's had interesting neutral or uh, reverse platoon splits in his career, and this year he's neutral. Kevin Gossman is. I, so that's that could be throwing inside to righties too, um, just to make it hard on them. I and still watch him. Away. I still watch him in outings like like the one yesterday at Toronto, and I'm just like, why don't you have a sub three ERA season yet? And I know yeah. that over the course of a season, and any guy that makes thirty starts, first off, you have to be a certain level of worthwhile to make th 30 starts so you can go find their best starts and say, Oh, you know, wh why aren't, aren't you good? But Gossman specifically when he's on that stuff is, is yeah. so good. And yeah. uh, I think Tanaka, you know, I think he's going to be better next year too. I think both are actually worthwhile bounce backs, but I think uh, Tanaka is going to be more of, 
your third, fourth starter type. And I think Gosman still ha- has that, that number two starter potential. I don't know. And, and I, I do still worry about Tanaka's health. As every year turns over, um, I think it's fair to continue to, to, to be concerned about his health. Uh, what about this bounce back? A couple of middle infielders. Rignet Odor, Trevor Story. Um, Odor, you know, he's still hit homers and stolen bases. He really hasn't completely murdered you if you if you kind of stuck it out. 28 homers, 14 stolen bases. If you got batting average covered elsewhere, then his 211, you know, is not one of those guys that was necessarily a season ruiner because he had the counting categories still coming through for you. Trevor Story was kind of a, it was a disjointed season and he hasn't been great when he has played but but injuries have been a problem too. He's only played 129 games. Actually, that's pretty close. He, I guess he hasn't met, missed that much time. Pardon me on that. But 21 homers, five stolen bases, 232 uh batting average. It almost feels like the same 211 that Odor has because he plays in in Colorado. But who do you like mm-hmm. better between Story and um Odor for a bounce back? Uh, Hodor. I, I'm going to go with the Rougenet because I like the stolen bases. I like the lower strikeout rate. Um, and I know that the pop-ups for Odor uh, this year and 2015, like 2016 is the outlier for his pop-up problem. And that could be why. Uh, but if you look back at 2015, he had the pop-up problem. He still hit 260. So I'm going to go with Odor being, uh, having a better batting average and having more stolen bases and having similar runs and RBI totals on a good Rangers team. Okay. And if Story hits a few more homers, I think, um, you know, there's no stolen bases in the game right now. So that no. puts Odor ahead already. I think that's that's actually uh, the perfect way to to call it. That could be the decider. And I've been a big story guy. Is he going to run to the level that he can, or is he going to be focused as more more of a power guy? We saw some of the speed last year with eight stolen bases in 97 games, but he was eight for 13. Well, story's five for five this year, so maybe in a in a better year he could be, you know. 12 for 14. He or also something. got hurt a couple times, didn't he? I mean, I know why you said that, that he got, that he got hurt because it seemed like he got hurt. So yeah. How many games have they, I guess, how many games have they played? Cause he's played 129. I, I, uh, yeah. Odor's played 145. So, yeah. so there's already something there. Okay. Yeah. So then he has missed, he's missed at least seven. So at least one DL stint for, for Trevor's story there. And maybe that's curbed in, uh, cut into his running a bit. But I think even if you get a full season of health, I don't know if it's going to be like a 20 stolen base sort of thing. I'm really torn here because I'm, I'm, this is exactly what I worried about with Odor. Maybe not a 211. I can't say that I, I, I saw right. that coming, but it's I really was like average. the batting average. It's, it's bad play discipline. I mean, it's like legendarily bad play. Exactly. He has a 255 OBP. Yeah. But 28 homers, 14 stolen bases at second base. That's. That's I guess there's some risk bad. he gets traded out of there. I mean, Willie Calhoun is, I'm not saying he's ready, ready, but. Um, if Odor's value is is cratered a little bit by his his on base percentage, maybe you know the Rangers can peddle him. They need pitching, you know. There could be uh, some move to be had there, but uh, and then mm-hmm. if he does Texas, it does take some of his value away. But I, I'm not going to hedge my bets. I'm still taking Odor. I'm going to take Story. He's a guy I I really believed in coming into this year, and it, it did not work. You like Colorado? 
I still am obsessed with Colorado, yes. Uh, another guy I was in on was Desmond because of Colorado, and that really flopped. At least Story has 21 bombs. I think Desmond has like five. Yeah, he's five this year. At least Desmond's old. I know, 30, but 31, not ancient. Uh-huh. He was like a 2020 master for a few years there. I thought, I thought, you know, give give me the 2020 guy that he's been at in Colorado, and I'm going to get a 295 average and and maybe 28 homers instead of the 20 that he usually does and another 20 stolen bases. But instead, it's five homers, 12 stolen bases, and 79 games. At least he only, yeah. What's that? What are you saying? Uh, I said at least he hit 273, so oh, yeah. he gave you some batting average. But uh, let's stick with another Rocky here. Who's story who's is ready. the just real quick story is the best hitter against sinkers. Uh, I just I did a study on uh, guys who hit sinkers and guys who hit four seamers, and story That's... is one of the best hitters against sinker. Is the best hitter against sinkers in my sample, which is all pitch FX era, and then uh, has one of the biggest disparities between hitting four seamers and sinkers. That may be part of the park effect, though, because I was going to more four seamers in Colorado. Yeah. OK, I, I was going to ask I how so. much the park would affect that. I, I assume some of it could be swing swing path. I, that's what I think. Too. Yeah, I think he's I think he if he, that's another thing about Odor is like I'm surprised he has a pop up problem because he hits the same amount of ground balls and, and fly balls. Like he has a one to one mix. Wow. Everything else is is pop ups, whereas Story has this crazy fly ball rate. Uh, and doesn't really have a pop-up problem, at least not like, uh, well, he does, uh, he's got a little bit of one this year, but it's not like uh, Odor, so. I wouldn't, have, I think I forgot that that Odor was a one-to-one guy. I think I knew it yeah, in the back of my it mind. Was more but... extreme. I think part of this year has been has been sort of ironing that out. That's interesting. Uh, okay, last one is an, involves another Rocky who's racing to the finish line, Carlos Gonzalez, trying to erase those bad memories from everybody's mind, not just fantasy minds, though. He wants to erase it from the minds of GMs who will be looking at him. This is the final year of Carlos Gonzalez's deal. He's going to be a free agent. I think we can safely say that he's not going to make 20 mil again like he did this year. Uh, I'm curious how, what you think of what kind of deal he might get, but also Carlos Gonzalez or Hunter Pence for next year, two veteran outfielders. Easy one for me. I'm going to go with Carlos Gonzalez. I know there's a risk that he leaves Colorado. In fact, it's probably a certainty. Yeah, I, I would I would put it as more of like an 80-20 sort of deal. Yeah, but I do think that Carlos Gonzalez will get a deal. I think he'll be in right field or left field for the uh, Atlanta Braves. I think it'll be one of the weirdest outfields of all time. I think it'll two statues and Ender Enciarte. Yeah, Ender Enciarte, Matt Kemp, and Carlos Gonzalez. Have you seen Gonzalez? Matt Kemp recently? Dude. I mean, dude. dude. He looks like a DH. He always had DH defensive numbers. Now he looks like a DH. Yes, he had like a couple spike years with the Dodgers when he was younger, where he could, you know, maintain center field and yeah. and yeah, and do literally everything. But uh, he is chunky. such a DH. He's so thick and it just oh, doesn't. Goodness. Yeah, no stolen bases. I was watching him round the bases on that on a homer he hit the other day. I was just like, whoa, dude, you look pretty slow. He's still. Uh, he, he, I'm kind of surprised that uh, he's gonna. He needs another homer to hit 20. I thought he was gonna be good for 30 this year after you know after the the power went up as it's like a, some as injuries. A he hasn't. He hasn't I, played a full slate. Yeah, 109 this year. Oh, I, I forgot about. That. Okay, that that explains a lot of it because yeah. I think the games played would cover it. And he hit 280, Ooh. so he's still you know solid DH or whatever. But um, all right. Oh, so replacement, dude. Quick quiz without looking. How many wins above replacement does Kemp have in his last five years combined? 
In his last five years combined, he has 6.2, just over one per year. I'm way off. Uh, I would say you're way off. He's got, uh, let me do the math here, 1.7. Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought it was like one a year. It's one total, two total, really. But Oh, boy. Oh, boy. That's bad. I made a bad guess there. Anyway, no, I mean, it's That's also hilarious. partially maybe. I mean, you could blame defensive numbers on this one. But when you have, like, the most putrid defensive numbers for a right fielder in baseball for five straight years, I think. At some point, you say, "Yeah, I think, I think," and then you look at him and you're like, "That boy, junkie." Too, you're not, you're, <laughs> you're not expecting anything to turn around when you look at him. Like, no, maybe he'll have a little uh, mid thirties rejuvenation like, for defense. Maybe he'll play first base. And I was like, "Wait, they already have Matt Adams and Freddie Freeman." <laughs> yeah, what they really need to do is figure out how to get him in the AL, and then they can put Adams out there. Right, <laughs> Adams, by the way, you know he's slimmed down. He looks better than than Kemp right now. We got to start going by Fat Kemp instead of Fat Adams. Uh, anyway, uh, the one nice thing about Carlos Gonzalez is that uh, his exit velocity tanked earlier this season. It was down to 80 on average. I mean, that is really bad. And so I think happened was he was hurt. I mean, he was hurt. He he always is dealing with something. And yeah, he, it's up. It's up again. I mean, that's that's the source of what's happening right now. He's just I think he's healthy, and someone's going to give him a chance to be healthy for them. And I guess you could. I mean, guess health is a big part of Hunter Pence. Um, I just don't see anything in Hunter Pence's, like, especially not his exit velocity. I don't see, oh, yeah, now he's healthy. You know, like, well, I, and I just not see only that, but struggling along that, 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 that park makes it tougher, too. So it's like, even when he's healthy with his, with half of his games being stunted by that park, like, what, what can he realistically give? And it's, I think the injuries have piled up. Remember, he was, he was one of the game's Iron Men. The uh, the new age Iron Man until he wasn't. It was it was 155 a year, a couple 162s in there until it was 52, and then it's been 52, 106, 123 games played for Hunter Pence, and he's going to be 35 next year. So I guess that one was pretty easy, but uh, I, I kind of want to use it no, more as a springboard to talk about cargo. Yeah, and here's a and here's a uh, another answer which might be more interesting, which is is it possible neither. I mean, is yeah, it possible absolutely. that, like, especially we're talking about like a 12 team league, like my full season projection for Pence next year might be 250, 10 homers and a stolen base. I just vomited, dude. Yeah, I know. That's definitely so not bad. a mixed leaguer. So let's, let's see how bad uh, we might go for Carlos Gonzalez next year. Uh, I basically, what I do uh, when I do something like this is I just take the steamer rest of season um, prorate it and then take something off of it because I actually have been talking to Steamer a little bit about about that and he's basically like yeah rest of season is very close to what it'll be for next year except you have to add an aging factor so it's, it's just a guy named Steamer it's like share it's a one name thing taking dumps just goes by Steamer taking dumps yep. looking in the toilet and being like oh Carlos Gonzalez will hit 275 next year <laughs> and he does he does live in Cleveland and that's where the name is. <laughs> yeah. anyway so we're I guess disgusting. you Go you ahead. take the you take some of the babble away from Carlos Gonzalez because he's not gonna be in Colorado mm-hmm. so uh my projection full season projection for Carlos Gonzalez off the back of my head doing a little blah blah, 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 blah 265 okay with 15 homers and two stolen bases 
Okay. I think the homers could even be a little bit higher. I know he's not going to be in Colorado. I think I mean, it's it. all in his case. The, the, I would, I think those 15, like 15 homers are more tied to playing time. Whereas Pence could play 500 plate appearances next year and still get 10 homers. Okay. Right? I think that's so, fair. Yeah. Cause I think, I think a healthy Gonzalez. If you want me to do an ISO, I think I would give him like nearly a 200 ISO next year. Like okay. 80, 200. Whereas Pence is going to have like a 120 ISO. So, I'm, I think I'm with you on that, and it does Carlos become Gonzalez is more playable. I I, I think I would I would uh, pick him as like a, a utility or an outfielder that's on my bench. I would mm-hmm. like to. I mean, starting him, um, you know, outside of Colorado uh, after this season seems a little bit uh, risky. I agree because you know, I, like I said, projecting health. It'd be great if we could project it, but we can't. He's going to be 32 with a career uh, history of injuries. And it's interesting, by the way, coming watch into him, this year. Watch him do 700 plate appearances. That's what I'm saying, though. Like, like anti-Pence, right? <laughs> yeah, he did 153 and 150 the two years before this after being known as, like, the fragile guy. I was like, oh, Carlos Gonzalez, he gets hurt every year. Then he goes 153 at age th- 29 and 150 games at great age season. 30. I mean, those were great seasons. Oh, they really were. But then this year, 123 with uh, with nagging injuries. But the skills are still there. You know, 10% walk rate was actually a career high. So I, I definitely see him being more intriguing. I waited as long as I also, could. I, I tried to give Carlos Gonzalez the benefit of the doubt that he would turn it on. So I wonder if there's going to be something in the offseason where he talks about, yeah, I, not only did I get hurt for X amount of games, but I also played 80% of the ones that I did play with this pain or this pain because yeah, it really looks like you should look at anybody who's listening. You should, or, or maybe attach it to the piece because just the little picture that comes on the baseball savant. If you, if you just do the Carlos Gonzalez search, it's uh, it's amazing. It's, it's, just, it's, I think it's very telling. It's a cliff and it just, and it comes back up to normal uh, over the course of the last month or so. All right, Eno, we got to bounce. Uh, great talking with you again. And uh, we'll be back next week. Yeah, and the, the, the playoffs approach. Thanks for listening. <laughs>